0: Sometimes you just want to talk about all those gifts from God, don't you? (laughs) I'd like to just recount all the ways God has used camps in my life. I could do that. I did that for the National Camping Association when I got to speak here as this camp hosted them and uh, men and women that serve all over the country. And Let me tell you, God used this camp and a time to focus like this on the gospel and its impact in our lives and to extend the gospel to us, right? And uh, so many children and adults make decisions at camp, and they are not temporary decisions, okay? I made a decision at camp that I knew I needed to follow Jesus Christ with my life no matter what. And I, and I didn't know what that meant. Uh, later on in life, I made a, made a decision that I knew it was time to quit pursuing being a history teacher at college, and submit to what I already had known, that I needed to be a pastor and follow Jesus Christ. Happened working on a camp staff. And in our family, extended family, I mean, we could mark so many things that way. But it's not about camp. It's about the gospel. It's about our Savior and what he's done. You know, I, I wasn't going to share this, but I so appreciate... Chad, I don't know, how how did he pull off that song he'd never played before? I don't know how you did that, because we didn't give you any time to practice, but I mean, that was so good. That song really has grabbed me this year. It's kind of my charge up in my pickup truck before I go in to preach at some of your churches. You know what I mean? Just make sure that I understand where my power is and what's going on, and, and how do I follow Christ in that, And because it comes back to the gospel, and Jesus Christ's work in our lives. And that's, that's what enables us. But I think the other reason it landed so hard is because my brother has gone through a really difficult time. A man who's been a pastor and is a professor right now and incredibly talented. And, uh, matter of fact, he came here during uh, training week when I was training. And your camp was so generous. When I called last second, I said, Phil, can I bring my brother? He just needs to be, be with me. And he said, Absolutely. And you need to know that kind of stuff. Like, this camp is generous in ways that never hit the screen. You know what I mean? And so, like, when I get to come back to family camp, I'm like, I want to come back because I have been loved. And my brother came to a spot where he looked at me like that song says, and he says, you know, John, all I have today that I'm really sure of is that Jesus Christ has resurrected from the dead. And he has certainly died for my sins. And he has promised it and extended it to me, and I know I've trusted that. But I'm having trouble holding on to anything else. But I'm telling you, if you have that, the rest will come into place. Because let me tell you, that's, that's what we have. And so tonight's message is going to press, um, are you willing to trust God in his promise? And we're going to see it illustrated with some Old Testament story. But you understand the promise to Israel was point blank you know, it was written down multiple times that they were God's chosen people, that Jesus Christ himself would be the blessing to all nations through them, that they would have land and that they would multiply, and God is not going to pull back on his word. And these stories show that God didn't pull back. And let me tell you, he's, God is so powerful, he dangled his people in the middle of the desert, if you will, without water. How long do you last? Not long. And he dangles his entire promise in the desert because when it's in God's hand, it is not a dangle. Okay? It looks like it from our human perspective. But he is so powerful. And I think it's just, again, he just puts it on display to say, I promise this. I'm doing this. But he's also doing it, as it'll say in the text, as a test. And why would God do a test? Is is he like most of our teachers that were so mean? Sorry, teachers. You know, is that, is that why God tests us? No, he tests us not so we will fail. He tests us so that we recognize how essential faith in him is and in his promise. Now, we have not been promised that our families will multiply. We have not been promised land, houses, okay? We've not, we've not been promised that Christ will come through us. He's already come, okay? What, but what we have been promised is everlasting life. Amen? You don't sound too excited about that. I know that, that second piece of pie you should not have eaten, but okay. you know. And I didn't, but I, <laughs> <'cause> I couldn't. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it's it, resurrection, but, but the way you get to resurrection is that every sin is gone. And we're not just talking in glory. You realize, I, am, I stand before you absolutely blameless, and there is no way from human perspective that I can prove I'm blameless by the way I act right i continually sin and as soon as i sin because i have trusted in jesus christ it's forgiven now it does fracture relationship between me and jesus not the kind of relationship where i won't go to heaven he's still my brother the father in heaven is still my father right it's like me when i showed when dad would show up for dinner you know after work and my mom an hour before 2 hours before it probably happened every hour some days she said wait till your father gets home and I was like, yes. And I, that was one of the only times I'd pray as a child. I'd pray, help mom forget. But my mom's a nurse and they don't forget anything. You know? And so dad would come home and, and I did not want to come to the dinner table, but I loved to eat. So I came to the dinner table and I'm like, just act good, you know. And my mom never forgot. And you know what? My dad still let me eat. And I was still at his table, like we just sang. And I was still his son. And after dinner, it got very difficult, <laughs> because I was his son, <laughs> and he loved me, okay? Um, that's, that's the way Christ and what the Father has given to us, that's what, that's what we have. That is our promise, that we are going to be resurrected from the dead, and some of us are going to be raptured, like we won't even have to die, amen? I hope I'm part of that, that'd be fun, yeah. all right? And... Uh, But most importantly, my sin is gone, and my sin is gone today. It no longer has power over me. And when you've worked, our house and our table is open once a week for quite a while to those who are going through drug addictions and other life-dominating sins. And they would eat with our family on Mondays, and they became our family. And let me tell you, people that have been dominated by sin and know it, which really all of us have been dominated by sin, it's just some of us are kind of ignoring it, okay? None of us. Escape that. We all have our favorite sins that we run back to. These people that were at our table, they survived by believing that there was a way of escape. They survived by understanding that the gospel frees us from sin. We do not have to go back to that. And there is power from Jesus Christ, and he is faithful, as our passage has been saying that we've gone to every night so far. You know that in First Corinthians, um, we're in this section of God's faithfulness, don't go to idolatry, there is a way of escape, that's what we have in the gospel, it's what we've been singing about. Now I come to First Corinthians 10, look at verse 3 quickly, and it says, "...all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them God was not pleased." And they were overthrown in the wilderness. We're going to cover a part of that in our story tonight. If you want to find that Old Testament passage, we're in Exodus 16. So find your way there. And listen for food, which is manna in the story for the most part, a little bit of quail. And then drink, for they drank from the same spiritual rock. There's going to be water provided in these two stories. So again, think about the characters. Which one do I relate to? And listen, and maybe you can't do both. And if you can't do both, like, I don't know which character, you'll probably explain it and I'll know it, then just listen for what God does, okay? Just listen for how he acts and what he's like. So I'm going to read this, uh, first. Or Exodus 16. It says, They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin. It's kind of an ironic English name for it. Um, <laughs> which is between Elam and Sinai, and on the 15th day of the second month, after they departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled. It's a key word for today. They grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. You know, that's crazily illogical. (laughs) I want to die either way. I mean, did you listen to that? You know, I wish I'd just been fat and died. (laughs) Okay. You know, but the end result's the same. I don't see how this is better. Anyway, I'm just telling you, when we are in grumble mode, which is sin, every time, we are past good spiritual logic. And we say and follow Ridiculous things. And let me tell you, their spot was hard. But it was a spot where there was a promise. I mean, they couldn't all die. <laughs> Matter of fact, God's name would be tarnished if they die in the wilderness. I mean, he had, he had promised to take them into the land. And you have to lay back on those big promises or else you will grumble in the immediate difficulty. The Lord, in verse 4, said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to reign. Bread from heaven for you and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And on the sixth day when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At "Evening, you shall know it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. Now if I had been listening as a kid who paid attention yesterday. To, to Moses, I would have been freaked out at that line. Did you catch that line? Who was the last person that God showed his glory to? Pharaoh. How well did it go for Pharaoh? Yeah, exactly. So when you're reading this and you hear Moses, I mean, Moses is bringing it to him, right? And he's saying, Look, you will see the glory of the Lord. They should have been shaking because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. And they're probably like, no, 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 I just grumbled against you, Moses. Wrong. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. That is very good leadership, by the way. To to direct their attention properly. And I have grumbled against plenty of leaders. Political, church, family, leaders. And it was always sin. Because God put those leaders in place. As wrong as they might be. We were telling stories about my father-in-law. It's of my favorite father-in-law stories. He's a very humble, thankful man. Got his GED the same year my wife graduated from high school. They worked together. He'd had a tough upbringing. He was a welder, fabricator, simple man, but he read his Bible through every year. And I was in seminary thinking I was smart. Came to their house, and their pastor was just destroying their church. It had gone from 900 to 300 in a very short period of time. And there was evil being done. And my father-in-law had been a leader in the church, and he was enduring this. And I looked at him and said, why are you staying there and enduring this? Why are you putting up with this? And he was just real calm, and he looked at me and he said, the longest reigning king in Israel was the most evil. It took me three days to understand what he just said. What was he saying? He said, God determines who's in leadership. Moses said in verse 9 to Aaron, say to the whole congregation, Of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he's heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them at twilight, You shall eat meat, and in the morning, you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. That was about as gracious an answer to grumbling that was absolute sin. She could ever imagine. Now, we're going to have a later lesson on grumbling that doesn't turn out quite so well. But further, God provided bread. He almost overlooked the grumbling and said, I'm just going to, fi- I'm going to test my people to see if they can follow commands. Um, and he said, I'm, I'm going to send this bread. And he gave, you could follow the next number of verses. And it's all about God's command and are you going to keep it? He said, There's going to, you know, this bread's going to come on the ground. And the people saw it and they said, What is that? It's manna. That's what manna means. And they collected it and they collect so much every day. And, it, and if you don't eat it all, it gets full of worms. So, of course, people were scared they weren't going to have enough. So what they do? They gather too much, and guess what happened the next day? Worms, and the whole place stank. Can you imagine three million people with worm-infested bread dumped out of their tent? That's really a nice idea in the hot sun of the desert. I'm thinking nasty, right? And then he said, and on the sixth day, Gather twice as much. And the people like, some of them, the disobedient ones like, no, I'm not doing that. And so they went hungry the next day. As a matter of fact, God was angry at them, and so was Moses. And it was a righteous anger because they went out to gather when God had clearly said, There will be nothing to gather on the seventh day. Are you not listening? And he had provided double, and he said, Cook it and rest. Because God's love for them was, I am providing a time of quiet and rest. The whole point being that you might worship me, have your attention on me, and that we might have a relationship in this process of keeping my promise to you. Which, even bigger, is my way to prove how I keep promise so that you would live with expectation that my son, Messiah, would come and pay the sin of all people. God had all that set up and actually clearly communicated it a perfect plan for them, and he ends up, they just disobey, and he looks at Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? Such a, a disappointing statement. Chapter 17, you you'd like to think, okay, it's going to get better, right? Not exactly, because as Corinthians told us, there was issue with bread. There was also drink in the wilderness, and they didn't do that very well. So Exodus 17, it says, all the congregation, Israel, moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, camped at Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses, which literally means they took him to court. And we do this sometimes when we're upset at leaders. We get picky uni, we pull out church constitutions, and we go into legal debate mode. What is your responsibility, Moses? You have not come through, and at the same time, later, it's going to say they quarreled or they took God to court, which, by the way, is a great way to lose, okay, because he runs the court, he is the judge, He's the one of truth, knows all things, like really stacked against you, okay? But they quarrel with Moses, which is like quarreling with God. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? And it's supposed to be a little bit humorous. God had tested them. Now you're testing God. It's kind of tongue-in-cheek like, what are you doing? But the people thirsted. Think about temporary difficulty. And they grumbled against Moses. They're back to that word. He so said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock? So you can see how they went from grumbling. Now they're saying, you're the one that's at fault. You're the one that's called, caused this hardship. And, and I'm thinking, did not God, in chapter 13, 14, and 15, well, they sang about it in 15. I mean, I think the song would have still been in their ears, right? Didn't God, God himself... I mean, the cloud that keeps showing up, the one that threw the quail down into the camp, the same cloud that protected you from the greatest army of the world at that time and brought you out by miraculous means that has never been reduplicated. I mean, really? But we're just like this. For God saved me. How about you? For eternity. Written down, clean, proven. Proven paid the debt for my sin, rose from the dead as proof that I will rise if I die. I mean, laid it down, picture perfect, people handle it, people touch it, historically provable, written down cleanly, preserved, in our lap, multiple translations, spirit of God, registering it to our spirit. Matter of fact, some of you in here haven't believed yet, and that very spirit is making you go, I need to do something with this. And and you're thinking that's your thinking, and actually it's the spirit of God working on you. And he blows like wind. We never know where he's going to land, but I'm telling you, that is God's love of you. He put his spirit and he says, and I've sent it as witness, and none of us come to Jesus by our brains. We all come by the Spirit of God doing that work in our life so that we understand these details of the gospel and believe, and I, having had all of that, I have tested God. I have grumbled. I have had my Masa and Meribah opportunity. Those words, by the way, are the, he labeled that part of the country. And those words are what actually mean tested and quarreling so that they could stare at that map and walk by those little places and remember how off they were in their understanding of God. And this is how it ends. Just look at verse 7. Exodus says, is the, this was their quarrel. This was their test. Is the Lord among us or not? I'm thinking, the cloud is there by day. Every day. The fire is there by night every night. Then on top of that, after they'd grumbled and complained, he put wafers on the ground. Now, I go in our backyard quite often, and all I find is dog poop, just so we're clear. <laughs> I mean, like, there is no manna, okay? I mean, sometimes I look at the dog poop, and I think, what is it? You know, but, but there, <laughs> there, there is no manna, okay? That, I mean, there has never been manna in your life, okay? This There was never manna in world history before this. The people knew it. I I mean, is the Lord among us or not? I'd really like to call them not very bright. (laughs) But I have been that person and lacked courage, right? Right? Lacked obedience. I guess let me stick with the story. Look at the characters because we need to gain from that. It'll come out. But Moses and Aaron, I mean, they were speaking, guiding. They took it on the chin. They were grumbled against. The only time they were angry was when God's command was violated. I think it was a righteous anger in this passage. Um, they, they were quarreled with. And Moses obeyed and struck the rock in obedience. And water came out and the people were provided for the people did not apologize to Moses, <laughs> at least not in the passage. It didn't happen. And he just followed God and led the way he was supposed to because God was king, not the people, not the position in his heart, not the acclaim that might come at these moments for Moses and Aaron. Uh, they, they did right in this. The whole congregation of Israel, they tested they grumbled. They were irrational. They were unbelieving. They were unbelieving in the big picture. I don't think God would have struggled if they came and said, You've promised to keep us. How do we move forward? I don't think God would have I think He just he might have chided them a little bit, but he wouldn't have called it sin. He knows our frailty. I love Psalm 106. You know, he knows we're butt dirt, right? It's one of my favorite verses because my kids were always covered in it, right? <laughs> Especially when you're camping. I mean, he knows we're about dirt, right? I mean, we're just, we barely get it. God is very patient, but but when we go after him and test him and say, you're wrong, when we grumble, I mean, he puts us in testy situations. And, and James 1.12 tells us that he tests us with affliction. And he says, he who stands in the test will receive the crown of life. See, God is still God. He still does these things. It says it in James. The whole congregation. Maybe you're, maybe you're there right now. And my tendency is when I'm there is um, my, I have some accountability friends. And I, a few years ago I was, I was grumbling about church. And they go to the church. (laughs) And I was grumbling. And that's not been normal for me much, but it had become a pattern. And finally, they just looked at me and said, grumbling is sin. You need to be quiet. It's a tough way to start Friday morning with your best friends. But they were my best friends, weren't they? Because they called me on it. And I did shut my mouth because I couldn't see anything good, which means I'm not fearing God. I'm fearing man. I, I'm totally off. And I had to go back and search. You don't fix that right away, because grumble had become part of me. And you know, what was wrong was wrong. I'm not saying that I was misperceiving. No, it was, it was bad. Okay, There was sin in the camp. There were things that were hard. There were people quarreling against me in part of that, right? But you don't see Moses grumble in the passage. I, I so easy can be the whole congregation as the pastor. I hope you caught that. Manna gatherers, some were obedient, some were disobedient, weren't they? You know, sometimes we're just that, I don't want to call it, but sometimes we're just the simple people. You know, I just, our, Scott has said in the morning, the mundane, right? Living in the mundane. Most of life is mundane. Most of life is just go out and gather the manna and not the wrong amount, Right? I mean, just go obey, simple thing. But you have a choice every day. I mean, we, even at camp where life is simple and, I mean, fairly easy for the most part, unless you have little children here, then it's always hard. But, you know, manna gatherers, I mean, we have a choice, you're going to obey or, or not going to obey. And I had to make that choice today, did you? I had a couple, couple spots where we're like, no, no, I'm going to obey. And if you never thought about that all day, that's probably not good, okay? You need to be thinking. Then there's the thirsty quarrelers. They take God to court, they strive against God, they debate, they doubt the presence of God. They're hard on God's leaders. Now this story's you know, easy to apply, because the leaders were doing right things. Um, our leaders don't always do right things. I've been the leader that did wrong things, OK? Um, but quarrelling against God's leaders, it's not right. The court because quarrelling is wrong. Uh, The believers of Corinth, remember they're part of this story because we're working through, and you think about Corinth, um, you know, I I spent a little bit of time in the book of Corinthians just thinking about this uh, set of messages, and Corinthians 1 Um, First Corinthians one eight it says, Jesus Christ will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. Boy, it says it in chapter 1, comes back in chapter 10, right? By whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So the believers at Calvary, or at Corinth, excuse me, they have a promise from God, don't they? That he is going to, that they're blameless, and he's faithful, and he's going to present them eternally. I mean, that is an incredible promise. Further, just a little bit further in the passage in verse 11, he says, for it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. So Paul, and he's introducing the letter to this church, he's saying there's quarreling. No wonder he used this Old Testament story. And... (laughs) And in the New Testament or in the Old Testament story, quarreling was met with what? Bread, water, and a test. We quarrel. And what does God do? Jesus Christ meets us, the one who is the bread of life, the one who is living water. And he meets us in our struggle. Is God not gracious to you and you're grumbling that way? If not, if you don't think so, if you've been quarreling and you're sitting in this service, he just did that, didn't he? He just met you right here and he said, here, think about this. And besides that, some of you ate lemon meringue pie before you came. I mean, bonus, right? I mean, he hands you himself as living water, as bread of heaven. He's the answer in that quarreling. And he says, There's divisions here. He says, Rather, verse 31 of chapter 1, he says, Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. So he's, he's taking these quarreling believers at Corinth and he's looking at him, he said, you've, you've, you've missed the whole thing. Your responsibility is to boast in the Lord. Um, if you're a, a leader, if you're a Moses in church, well, then you need to do your responsibility. But for all of us total, I mean, our number one thing is that God get. Glory. And I'm telling you, the path of grumbling and quarreling never leads to God's glory until we repent of that and then can work on the problem that probably tripped us up. We need to be people like the people of Corinth, who it appears, if you read the rest of the letters, listened to chapter 1 and chapter 10 and they, well, in chapter 8, on the way to 10, he says, your real job is to build up one another in love. And he says it in a way where it doesn't matter. He says, but if anyone loves God, he's known by God. Um, in that passage, he says, anyone imagine that he knows something he does not yet know as he ought to know, but if anyone loves God, he's known by God. And he's telling us, knowledge puss up, but love builds up. When I am trying to prove myself right, I am puffing up. I'm telling you. I've left love. I, and, and I tell you, I can be there. Because I want church to go right. And I, I'm telling you, I, I spent almost all my life as the leader side of church. I'm telling you, I, I can want to just make it all turn out right. And I can be very righteous about how what I'm driving and thinking is right. And every time I've done that without love, it is a clanging symbol. And if I'm met by people who also see things absolutely right and they have not love, it is clanging symbol. There's no way that I, I don't know any of your situation specifically, I planned this months ago, so please don't think I'm coming after anybody here, but I'm telling that our, I mean, what we need to do, us, we need to check and make sure our desire is for Christ. Because Christ is with us. And we ought to make it our aim that we bring glory to God by bringing Christ into the mix and finding a way to be like-minded together with one another. And you might say, you don't know, it's, it's not that simple. No, actually, it is that simple. We make it complex by all the things that we hold on to in our desires And and our hurts, like I'm thirsty. Is God with us or not? Right? We go right there, just like the people. Let's look at God because that is the way out of quarreling. And what is He? (laughs) I've said it already. He's the bread of life, the living water. He's the rock the place where that water comes from. He's a place of shelter. He is the Christ. He's the promised one. He was promised before we ever saw him on earth, before mankind ever saw him. he's promised in the ages before. And he did a work in us, knowing us, in the ages before. He knew we would meet him. He presented himself to us as earth. I mean, he is the Christ, the promised one. He tests obedience. Talked about that. He tests our faith, and he does it in kindness. You're in a tough spot right now. You got to go, cool. God has tested me. I have opportunity to pass or fail, collect manna or stink. I have a choice, right? Um, and, and it is that simple. And, and we, we just got to determine, I, I'm with God on this. I am I'm going to obey his way of, his way of making this happen. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm going to pass this test by obedience, by faith, I mean, with great I mean, really one of the big things they they doubted whether God was really with them, which was ridiculous because he was promised. But they were in a hard spot. I mean, thirst is bad, especially when it's your kid that's thirsty. I mean, you I'd struggle. And what did they really need? They needed patience. Because if they'd sat there patiently, I guarantee you, without a word, God would have put water from heaven to give them drink. Because they were his people. And he was not going to let them down. He had promised that. Well, you're his people if you're redeemed. And he has not promised you water. In that sense, he's promised you Jesus Christ. How long can you walk in ugly if Jesus is with you? You can walk a long time. And I've had the benefit of a grandfather who walked like this in a church that was destroyed. And he walked. And when the new pastor came, he patiently helped that man see that ministry that had been devastated be rebuilt I said grandpa how did you why did you ever endure this he said church is not about me oh, I wish I could have learned that from my grandfather faster right and then my father-in-law what he says these are people that understand that God tests but it's kindness and he will come through on his promise he reveals his glory God does that. He communicates clearly what his glory is going to look like, how he's going to do it. And honestly, if he calls us to endure, most of us aren't going to live 70 more years. And we're going to be in glory forever. So let us endure struggle. I had a great story of somebody this week who, when I was here three years ago, was in the pits. I'm so grateful he told me a story. And he said, today, totally different. Totally different spot. I said, isn't it crazy how at certain moments in time it looks like impossible? And now three years later, it's just totally different. God's faithfulness, rebuilding the whole thing. That's that's what our God is. He reveals his glory. He communicates it. He desires that we remember him. I mean, God had him scoop up manna, I think this is funny, and put it in the ark and it never got worms. Isn't that great? I love that. And they didn't have like... You know, sealed packaging stuff, right? Just put it in a crock in there. No worms. It's awesome. Um, because he says, I, I just want you to know this. He provides the promise of leaders, he provides presence for Israel and for us, salvation, his presence, escape, and power. We have from him, he says in the passage in Corinthians, endurance. How far is endurance? Yep. Another step. And when God's name and his glory and his gospel is on the line, because that's what happens when we get to grumble and quarrel, isn't it? When When his name and his gospel is on the line, endure, take five longer, patient steps than you'd ever want. Because then if Satan is in the mix and real evil happens, you will know that you have endured. You'll find your way there. And never measure that by yourself. Endurance is measured together, and especially with people who are not in your tough spot, right? Because they can see clearly what's going on. God, this is my last point, God gives no rest to those who test Him. You know, in the, in the passage, he says that, you'd find the same verses recounted in Psalm 95, so you had to sing about it. Psalm 95:11. And then it, you go to Hebrews, and he quotes it like two and a half times in the course of two chapters. So this is a like definitive testing, quarreling moment. I mean, it's a significant thing in Scripture when it's repeated in each of those types of literature. And in the, the Hebrews passage, he's, he's clearly telling us believers, rest will evade you if you do not, if you test God, if you will not believe him, and remain in what he has taught you. I mean, you're just not going to find rest. And the spirit of God, he says, is saying this. And he quotes the passage. I mean, so here you have Corinthians, Hebrews, Psalms. And the original part of the book where he has. I mean, God is speaking this. He says, take, take care, brothers. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Leading you to fall away from the living God. So when you stop walking with him, you're falling away. He says, but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now, I know that this message has been kind of heavy. So I want to tell you a story that started funny, but kind of grabbed all of our hearts. See, we were studying this uh, almost a year ago in the fall on a hunting trip. So we had about nine or ten guys, dads and sons, on this trip, and some other men sprinkled in. And we go to North Dakota. We try to every year if we can put it together and hunt waterfowl for uh, three, four, five days, depending on how much time we have. Stay at a, a camp out there who's really generous to us. And and we have dogs. And and really, what you know, what happens at hunting camp really should stay at hunting camp. But I got permission to tell this story. Okay. So we are studying this passage. And I was, before the Lord, as we studied it, and different guys were teaching during the week, but i was studying, this, I'm like, how can I drive home the idea that we grumble? How can we stop this? Because, I mean, the point of this passage is, believe in God, but if you're going to believe in God, the first thing, you got to stop the grumbling, and then remember what has God really promised, and what has he done? I'm like, how can I hook this? Well, when you hunt waterfowl in North Dakota, and we were hunting mostly ducks and occasional geese. Um, there's a bird, and I think I have a slide of it, and it may even make noise, I think, possibly, but it's going to come up. There's a bird, I mean, and this is a duck, by the way. Yeah, if, if, if this would just sing like this on the way in, you might never make a mistake. But they don't fly in singing. And so, does anybody know what this is? Help me. Anybody know? This is a hooded merganser, okay? It's a type of diver duck. And mergansers, I mean... They look like all the other ducks in one sense. Actually, it isn't a beautiful bird. My wife says, how do you shoot that? I said, because I want to look at it. It's so cool, you know. But, um, but we don't shoot mergansers because if you know anything about them, you've got a kind of a funny little beak. And see, a merganser, they don't, they don't eat plants, really. They eat fish. They eat little fish. And if you, when you shoot, I mean, if we shoot something, you have to eat it. That's just a rule, right? I mean, it's just bad dominion not to. But when you open up a merganser and you have their breast meat, it smells like a three-day-old minnow bucket that was left in the garage I'm just saying okay and that's fresh that that's what it smells like and and like your hands that touch it like are fish greasy tell me oily yeah so their meat is oily and as soon as you've touched it and you've you smell like merganser um you can't wash it off and so like you're not supposed to shoot them but young guys I mean they're like we're gonna kill everything that flies you know So we got these young guys with us, and and they're not as good at understanding what birds coming in because they're flying really fast, and it's windy, and it's loud, and all this going on, and chaos can happen. and and sure enough, on this trip, the earlier that day when we got before we got to this lesson, um, we were setting up decoys. There had been ice. We were kind of late. I'm out in the water, and two birds fly in, and they're like ducks. And so I'm out in the water in the decoys. Not the best position when guys are going to shoot. And so I just, I was trusting them, and I, I just did one of these, like, I'm a stump, I'm a stump, don't shoot me, you know? And so I did like that, and I look out of the corner of my eye, and before I can say, Merg, that's our signal for don't shoot. It was like Fourth of July, you know what I mean? Every young guy emptied his gun, boom, 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 you know what I mean? And, man, every Merganser that came in fell to the, fell to the lake. I'm like, I look at him, I'm like, you're eating them you know, and, uh, and we laugh about that, and we made him eat him, and it's nasty, you, there's not enough, there's not enough sauce to fix that, you know, just so we're clear, um, <laughs> it's really bad, <laughs> so, so, the, I don't know, God just put it on my heart, and, and while we were, I was in the middle of teaching this lesson, it was not pre-thought, I thought, you know what, we are so intense about not shooting, shooting merg answers, and we yell merg, I looked at the boys and the men, and I said, look, if anyone grumbles tomorrow, I want you to say merg. Just say it. And, and it. and I said, if someone says merg and you're the one talking, do not take it as judgment. Take it as, I should really consider, is this grumbling? Right? Because we can't always exactly know if someone's grumbling. And, I, and it's not ours to judge, but it is ours to protect our brother, as it just said in Hebrews, and make sure that they, they do not find themselves in sin. And so, you know, and we joked about it. I'm like, no, I'm serious. Like, if somebody's grumbling, somebody's complaining, I want to hear Merg. Well, I'll tell you what happened the rest of the the next three days. The first day after that, we heard Merg a lot. It was actually embarrassing to every kid, the 20-year-old to the 50-year-old, because I'm like, I can't believe how much, you know, because we're, I mean, the skit first world problems, we're in North Dakota hunting birds that we do not need to eat, some that we don't want to eat, right? I mean, we obviously have uh, way more money than we need, right? To be off vacating playing, you know? I mean, gifts from God, and we're complaining about how cold it is, about how many ducks came in, how many didn't because somebody made smells. I mean, i stuck camp. I can't rehearse everything, okay? But like, it didn't matter what. There was complaint, and murg merg, murg, And of course, later that day, I'm on a back road 25 miles from any place you could spend money and get repairs, and I blew a tire. Because it's just rock road. Blew a tire, and of course, I have a Chevy, which means every spare, no matter how long you bring it down, rusts into place. <laughs> and so, you know... They're all looking at me like this, all the young guys, because <laughs> they—I mean—they want to merg me so bad. You know what I mean? And uh, and I—if they had not been there ready to merg me, I would have grumbled. Now I, I can't tell you what to do as a camp. I'm not really in charge, but it might be good for us to say merg the rest of the week. Say it kindly, not too nasty. Be ready for it to be said to you. Don't take it as judgment. Take it as I need to at least think about what I'm saying. And guys, they were like, I'm just defining what's happening. No, are you sure? In your heart? They're like, no, merg. They'd merg themselves. <laughs> it's just, it happened. I mean, the end of the week, we always do a debrief before we go home. Every one of those, I call them kids, they're all adults, but they're all under 25 years old. That's that set of the guys. Every one of them said, I couldn't believe how much I complain about my God who has saved me. And I'm so glad that we helped each other that way. We've been starting to plan our next trip, and every guy says, as they leave, from any interchange, (laughs) they say, they look at us as they walk away and go, Merg. Right? It's hanging with us because God, I mean, God hates that we test him. And you know, some of you are in brutal affliction tests. So I do not preach this to abuse you, okay? I I preach this because it was already planned. And I preach it and just ask you, go back and meet with Jesus if merg has been in your vocabulary. Let's pray together. Lord, there's next things on the agenda and there's more in this passage than just quarreling. Sometimes it points out that I need to lead different. I mean, there's many things here that your spirit could be prompting, but I do know that if we'll address our complaint, it will drive us back into our heart, Lord, and we'll meet you, and we'll have satisfaction from you, our rock, our living water, our manna. Help us to be patient, not jump ahead, not accuse. Um, Lord, I may need to be murdered this week. Um, It's quite possible. But may we take that correction among us as brothers and sisters who love each other so that we'd be able to live with rest that you give in our affliction, endurance, and escape that you have absolutely promised as faithful God who is with us. Thank you for being that. May we worship you in that. In Jesus' name, amen.